Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the gospel readings as you heard. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, silence. Our world is at times filled with silence. I mean, we could try right now just to have a, a moment of silence here, but with lots of kids in our midst, that's not likely. I mean, those of you who are watching at home, you can go ahead and try. We'll try it here. Just a moment of silence on the count of three. One, two, three. Not bad. If you've ever been the only one up in your household at, I don't say, two in the morning, there's not a whole lot of noise that's happening. If you go into a room with no windows, with the lights off, you close the door, you can stand in the darkness and silence. For some people, they like the silence. For others, they can't stand it. And they have to fill that void. Either way, silence does not last. I'm going to wait a second. You'll just have to imagine this. There are pictures, but it's not working right now. <clears throat> silence. Think of the silence of a newborn baby before it lets out its first blood-curdling scream. But that scream is music to the ears of a parent because that baby is alive and breathing. You can think of open waters, how there is a calm before the storm. The sea is quiet before the waves come crashing in. And if you're somebody who likes to watch storms, you know that when you're watching a storm off in the distance, you'll see that lightning strike you'll see the flash before you hear the rumble, before you hear the thunder. This is how you can tell if a storm is getting closer or farther away. If you're unlucky, you'll hear the crack at the same time as the flash. On Good Friday, Jesus is nailed to the cross and suffers the most excruciating death that anyone can go through. Excruciating, which means out of the cross. The word was created because of crucifixions. And there on the cross, Jesus bows his head and gives up his spirit. And there was silence. At death, as a person stops breathing, the heart stops beating, 
there is silence. And even at Jesus' death, the silence didn't last. Because there was an earthquake. The rocks split. The temple of the curtain is torn in two. And then what's even more miraculous that we don't have time to get into today is that there were many people who rose from the dead that day, coming out of their tombs and appearing to many people. You can imagine there wasn't much silence there, except maybe the shocked faces of seeing the dead come back to life. But then you can imagine going back to Jesus. The silence as he is placed in the tomb. The silence inside as the stone is rolled in front of the entrance. Silence inside as the tomb is sealed and the guards wait outside. On Good Friday, we experience all the death. We experience the death of Jesus. We experience the death that he took on our behalf. The death that we all deserve. The death that came because of sin. And it all goes back to the Garden of Eden. God had given them one command. Don't eat the fruit from this one tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat this fruit. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Maybe an apple, maybe not. And then Satan comes along and says, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And I wonder if the moment that they took that fruit and ate, I wonder if it was this moment of silence. Like, are we dead? No? Okay. But then, it hits them. I'm naked. You're naked. Cover yourself up. Turn around. And in their shame, they realize they've brought sin into the world. And they've just brought death into the world. And they hear God coming. And they hide. They hide in the silence of the garden because of what they've done. They don't want to be found. They don't want to hear the punishment that they already know is theirs. But they can't keep silent forever. They can't hide from God. And he calls to Adam. He confronts Adam, who bears the responsibility. There is punishment. Sure, they didn't die as soon as they ate the fruit. But death is coming for them. They died. All because of sin. 
Their sin, their eating, brought death into their world. Their sin, their eating, brought death into our world. And since that day, nothing has ever been the same. And so there are many parents every year who go through the silence of never getting to hear the scream of their baby because of miscarriage or stillbirth or even abortion. It happens all because of sin. Every day, people die from cancer, stroke, heart attack, ALS, all because of sin. Every day, people are diagnosed with a disease that will be their cause of death, all because of sin. Every day, the storms rage on. And that's why we have the calm before the storm. All because of sin. Because this world, this earth is cursed because of sin. And since that day, since that first sin, we are all born into sin. We have sinful parents and we are born sinful children. And as a result of our sin, there are consequences for our sins just like there were for Adam and Eve. We will all surely die as well. We will all one day face physical death. But the punishment extends beyond physical death. The punishment is also eternal death. The punishment is hell. The punishment is to have exactly what Satan has. No hope for a future. No hope for redemption. No hope for being saved. No hope for being rescued. And there is nothing that we can do about it. But there is something that God can do about it. And it all started in the garden. God did not leave Adam and Eve in the silence of their sin and death. He broke the silence. First, by speaking to the serpent, Satan. Bad news for him, good news for us. Or rather, rather, as we call it, the first gospel, the first promise of a savior. God said to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The serpent crusher was going to come. God does not leave us in the silence of our sin and death because the serpent crusher has come. On Good Friday, Jesus died. And as he was placed in the tomb, there was silence. There was quiet for three days. Now, you might be thinking, Friday to Saturday, that's one day. Saturday to Sunday, well, that's only two days. But the way the Jews counted days, any part of a day is counted as a whole day. So even though Jesus rises from the dead on the third day, it hasn't been a full 72 hours because he was in the tomb on Friday. That's one day. And on Saturday, that's two days. And on Sunday, three days. So you can imagine if he was placed in the tomb at 11.59 p.m. on Friday and rose from the dead at 12.01 a.m. on Sunday, 
He'd have only been in the tomb for 24 hours and two minutes. But it would still count as three days. So for three days, for as long as Jesus' physical body is in the tomb, there was silence. Everything else that was happening, there was silence. There was the silence of the disciples who were hiding out for fear of the Jews. They were afraid they'd face the same fate as Jesus. Then there are the guards. We're just standing around outside the tomb with nothing really to do because nothing's happening. But they were there in case something happened. The only ones who probably weren't silent during this time were the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, because they were responsible for killing Jesus and were probably celebrating their victory. To them, silence was golden. Jesus was dead. The blasphemer, the one who was always calling them out, the one who had claimed to be God, who had forgiven sins, the king of the Jews, was finally silenced. But that silence only lasted three days. You can even imagine the silence of the women going to the tomb that Sunday morning. Solemn, somber to go and anoint Jesus' body because he was placed in the tomb right before the Sabbath and you couldn't work at all on the Sabbath. So they had to wait to prepare for his proper burial of his body, which ultimately was not really necessary because the silence disappears as there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. The darkness and silence of death is broken by a great earthquake. The stone being rolled away and an angel perching on top of it. Silence. And then, Alleluia! Christ is risen! He's risen indeed. Alleluia. Well, I mean, not exactly. Right? The earthquake, the stone, the angel, and then the guards trembled and became like dead men. The guards passed out. And then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. You've got to imagine, this would have been the greatest job to have as an angel. I mean, sure, announcing the birth of Christ, pretty cool. But it's another thing to announce the resurrection from the dead. Come and see. Come and see the empty tomb. Don't be afraid, Jesus is not dead. He is alive just as he told you. He is not here. He is risen. Alleluia. The angel continues. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. You know, those disciples who are scared, who are hiding out, go and tell them that Jesus is going to appear to them just like he told you. I'm telling you also. And then Jesus does appear to the disciples, even though they're in a locked room, and he says, peace be with you. The silence doesn't last very long with the disciples. And even if it did, it doesn't last forever. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the Bible. 
we wouldn't have God's word telling us about the death and resurrection of Christ. Why do we need Jesus today? On Easter Sunday? Well, first of all, we need Jesus today on Easter Sunday because we need him to rise from the dead. Because if there was silence on Easter Sunday, that would be a bad thing. Because if he doesn't rise, he's no different than any other person who has died on this earth. He's not the Savior. He's not the Messiah. He's not the promised serpent crusher. As Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are still in our sin. That means we are still deserving death and damnation. We are still deserving of hell. And this faith that we cling to, this hope that we have for eternal life is futile. It is worthless. It is pointless. There's no joy. There is no reason to celebrate. We need Jesus to rise from the dead because the resurrection seals the deal. That sin has been defeated. That our sins are forgiven. That death is swallowed up in victory. And Satan, the serpent, has been crushed. And eternal life has been won for us. We need the empty tomb. Not to let Jesus out. Because as he proved with his disciples, if a room is locked, he can still get in. So if a tomb is sealed shut, he can still get out. We need the empty tomb. Maybe to let us in. But we really need the empty tomb to prove to us that God's word is true. Even the guards, the soldiers, knew the tomb was empty. They were witnesses, which is why the chief priests came up with the lie and paid the soldiers off to say that the disciples had stolen the body. The starting point of Easter Sunday is always and has always been that the tomb was empty. Which means God's word is true. And God's word also tells us that he spoke to his disciples and he said, peace be with you. And for us it means that Jesus has made peace with us and God. He has reconciled us to God. He has fixed everything that is wrong with us and is wrong with the world, and he has made all things right. Now, that doesn't mean that all of our problems on earth are going to disappear, that we won't face any of the terrible things I've already mentioned, like sickness and disease and death, but our hope for everything being made right is not in this earth, not in this life. It's for the life that is to come. And that's because in Jesus' resurrection, he gives us forgiveness. He gives us salvation. And then he sends his Holy Spirit to give us the faith to believe in all of this. And on top of that, as we saw on Monday Thursday, he's given us his body and blood in his supper to again give us forgiveness, to strengthen our faith, and to give eternal life to all who believe. And as we gather at this altar, we join in the celebration of Christ's body and blood with all of those who have gone before us. 
all of those who have gone before us in the faith, our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, our spouses, our grandparents, everyone is part of the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, a feast that has no end. And Christ's Supper is a foretaste of the feast that is to come, the feast that all of those who have gone before us in the faith are already enjoying. And it's all fulfilled because of Easter. And listen to this. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. It's interesting that it's in a garden that death enters the world. Through one man, Adam, death comes to us all. And it's even more interesting that it's in a garden that through one man, Jesus, both God and man, life, salvation comes to us all. No longer the silence of death because death has been overcome because, alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding of your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.